0: and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. Today, we are diving into a much-needed discussion surrounding mental health and the need for therapy now more than ever. My special guest today is the founder and CEO of MyWellbeing.com, Alyssa Petersall. Alyssa, thanks for joining me.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be
0: here. Absolutely. So obviously, there are not enough adjectives to describe how 2020 was for a lot of people. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when things like You know, last year happened and they're out of our control. I think people feel almost a sense of guilt wanting to seek help. And there's also a a sense of fear of wanting to just talk about how you're feeling and, you know, Mm -hmm. looking around, realizing, well, things are still are kind of okay for me. So should I seek therapy? Should I be in this position? And I've been a huge advocate for seeking therapy and and taking care of your mental health, especially after last year. So I want to talk a little bit about your background and how you got into the business of wanting (laughs) to help people find therapy, because I think it's a really beautiful thing. Um, that you've created this platform for people to be able to seek therapy and and do it in a um, an accessible way. So yeah, I just want to talk about your background and how you came to this point of creating mywellbeing.com.
1: I appreciate that. So I, for reasons that are unbeknownst to me, we have always really been drawn to first and foremost helping people, and I've always been drawn to suffering a little bit. And I've come to learn a lot more about why that is in my own therapy. But I started my career in community organizing actually, and went into communications and writing. And ultimately, when I decided to become a therapist, I prioritized my own search for a therapist Mm. only to find that the search process was a lot more frictionful than I thought necessary especially as someone who is generally a tech enthusiast and I'm happy to talk about and totally understand the risks that come with technology and social media Mm -hmm. particularly from a mental health perspective but I found it fascinating and a bit disturbing that you could have a personalized order for Chinese food delivered to your door in two seconds But when you wanted to find a therapist, you had to reach out to 100 people to get anyone to call you back. And you had to make sense of all sorts of jargon. So... Similarly, when I started working as a therapist, I started meeting clients who were absolutely lovely as people, we connected, but were looking for something that I wasn't necessarily trained in. So we would spend 45 or 60 minutes on a first session only for me at the end of the session to say, look, I really appreciate you coming and sharing with me. It's a tremendous first step. But clinically and ethically, I think some of my colleagues might be a better fit. Can mm. I connect it to someone? And emotionally, that's a huge dismissal. And the research shows that more often than not, people do not pursue therapy when that happens. Because you go and you share your story and you open up only for someone to say, actually, I don't love you or actually, like, not for me, thanks.
0: Right. And
1: from the provider perspective, there are a lot of reasons why someone might refer out and um, it is ethically responsible to do that if you're not the best fit, but you also hold this knowledge that is that you, you doubt and fear that it may drive the person away. Entirely. Yeah. yeah. so I was faced with both of these first person perspectives and was really motivated to figure out, okay, how do we take all of the learnings and innovation and potential of technology and of innovation and apply that to a space that I personally care very deeply about, but also had experienced on both sides in this first person way. So those are really the beginnings and it's all been a lot of learning and a lot of growth from there. That's incredible. So what
0: I love though, is that you found a need, you had a need for yourself Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what pushed you to create this. And a lot of mm-hmm. people don't ever make that step to be self-starters yeah. and, and, and try to create something for them. Cause there, I mean, there are a lot of things that I'm sure I need, or I haven't found yet, mm-hmm. but I may not have the resources to do it, but that's mm-hmm. so inspiring that you just took the step. and was like, no, I want to take the guesswork out of this for mm-hmm. other people. And I want to make this easy because there is a huge stigma surrounding mental health yeah. and just seeking therapy in general. So Absolutely. When you started a company, because, I mean, starting a company is not an easy thing to do, (laughs) obviously. What were some of the challenges that you found? But also, and we can go a little deeper, did you find that there were even more challenges being a female entrepreneur? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I did. And I think being someone who leans toward being a helper, and I don't think that's a secret to anyone who talks to me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, interestingly... When I first started, I think one of my biggest strengths is I tend to be a yes and person. And I think you probably relate to that as having experience Mm -hmm. in the theater world. Yeah, yeah. Um, When I also very strongly identify as being a problem solver, I have learned over time that sometimes you don't need to solve the problem immediately, but you need to sit with the discomfort. So very happy to talk about that too. But as an entrepreneur, having that problem solving quasi compulsion was super helpful. And I think I also have a lot of inherent urgency around things that I deem to be social issues, where I feel like if this thing does not exist, Someone has to do it, we gotta do it. Like if there's a social issue behind it, if I feel like it's gonna help people, it really motivates me. I'm not sure I would have the same sense of urgency for any business. So for budding and aspiring entrepreneurs, I'd recommend finding something that you really feel like if it doesn't exist, in the future, whether or not that's in a couple years, because sometimes there's a lot of work that goes into even launching. But if it's not something that when the days are really hard, you're going to be able to tell yourself, but the core of this thing needs to exist. Mm -hmm. That's what I would look for. And with regard to challenges, so I was really lucky. I got my master's at NYU in social work. NYU happens to have a very strong entrepreneurship department. Mm. They have a summer program where if you apply and you're accepted, in 10 weeks, you get a $10,000 non-dilutive grant, meaning they don't take any ownership of your company, $10,000 grant to start or grow a company. And when I applied a couple of years ago at this point, it very much meant start or grow a company. At this point, some of the companies that I've seen start and graduate that program are already earning, you know, a lot of revenue. Yeah. But... I was coming out of my master's program. I had this burning idea. I showed up to the interview with wireframes, or essentially like sketched designs for what I wanted the original product to be. Mm-hmm. And I had no experience in product before. And they looked at me and they're like, "This, there's this weird social work person who like thinks he's <laughs> interested in tech." And they said <laughs> to me, "We have never had someone from social." Work applies. So, coming full circle to your question, I think that in the very beginning, I think that it's a uh, it is kind of a both and with is being a woman more challenging. Is it an advantage? I think at that moment. It would not shock me if a large reason they were interested was to increase their diversity. Mm-hmm. They had never had an applicant from social work. They knew mental health was important. I'm a woman. They wanted to show that they're investing in women. Right. So I think that in some way, that was an advantage. However, fast forward. So um, part of the reasons why I enjoy my own therapy is I consider myself a recovering perfectionist. I am regularly checking in with myself on my own workaholism. And that showed (laughs) through, (laughs) so I worked really hard. I did a lot and we grew a lot and I went out for our first fundraise. And one of the biggest barriers to growth is for sure funding. And I literally had prospective investors say to me, what does a social worker know about running a business? Mm -hmm. Why would I invest in a social worker if I can invest in a consultant Where are the name brand logos on your resume? You haven't worked at, literally, you haven't worked at Facebook, Google, or Twitter. Like, why should I trust you? so which is such a that, catch
0: 22 to be honest because yeah. you're like i need this but you're yeah. saying i can't have it until i have it it just it's it blows oh, my mind that circle that happens with people trying absolutely. to get funded and invest exactly and
1: particularly in fundraising they'll say okay well we want you to grow 100x before we'll consider investing and it's like yeah. okay well if we're gonna grow 100x we need to increase our marketing budget right. our team yeah funding is a huge obstacle i do absolutely think there's rampant sexism and racism in the fundraising space. I have a colleague who is one of the most inspiring entrepreneurs I've ever met. He's a man and he is not American and he faced a lot of um, racism Hmm. in fundraising. So it wasn't sexism in his case and his company was actually very exceptional. And the investors had a lot of, they would name really direct hesitation and doubt and fear around his country of origin which to me is pretty shocking it's like mm-hmm. here's this really exciting business opportunity and you're actually naming that you're not getting involved right. because of where this person happens to have been born and grow up wow so the other obstacle I would mention and or exciting opportunity for entrepreneurs who may be listening is partners slash teammates mm. So when I started my well-being from day one, I actually did have a co-founder for that NYU program. Just on the other side of the program, she had decided that she was more interested in pursuing a clinical path, like full-on, full-time psychotherapy, Mm -hmm. um, which makes sense. And we were aligned in that decision. And what that meant was that I was a solo founder. (laughs) So... I believe there are pros and cons to almost everything. Things are never, there's no one universal right decision or best case. Some of the things that I was afforded for that were the team was me. So when I needed to make a decision, when we needed to move something forward or cut something off, there wasn't really a ton of highly emotionally charged conversations around how do we do this? How do we do that? What's our direction? Mm -hmm. It was all coming from me. So I could be a lot more efficient. Yeah. That said, (laughs) I'm one person with one set of skills, one set of strengths, a certain set of weaknesses or things that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely pros and cons and advantages and disadvantages as well to having a multidisciplinary team that comes from really diverse life experiences and professional experiences. So, if you have a marketing need or you have a finance need, people have a lot more lived and learned experience in those areas.
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: you're trying to build a company that serves a diverse consumer base, which is almost every company, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. It's really helpful to have people on the founding team who can see things from multiple perspectives and might catch some of your blind spots. So, Super grateful to have built a team over time. Yeah. But have for sure lived through a fair share of burnout highs and lows because there's only so much that one person can
0: do. Oh, I can only imagine. And it's so hard because, you know, they always say, if you want to get something done right, do it yourself, yeah. And you know, and it's true to an extent, but you can burn out and you can yeah. overexert yourself. And it, it takes a lot of strength actually to ask for help. And even in that sense, you know, know you know, we're talking about mental health, but even just with the workspace, like I know for me, because yeah. I, I run my own company as well. And mm-hmm. I'm such a control freak because I know exactly how I want things done, but there, <laughs> my husband is like, we well, you just ask. Somebody to help you get this done, because you'll go crazy if you're trying yeah. to to control everything. Exactly. So, talk me through kind of the timeline of like when you first launched it into where you are now. Like how much growth has the company yeah. seen? It's
1: a great question. So we first launched the fall of 2017, okay. and we launched with about 20 mental health providers and literally myself in a spreadsheet. <laughs> so people would you know come to uh, come to me and say this is what i'm looking for these are the various things this is what i'm going through and i would build out different features of the providers that we were working with mm-hmm. and as i was helping people connect to the provider i might introduce a new column or introduce a new row and start to specify even more mm-hmm. and then at a certain point we had made a couple thousand matches and wow. we were working with about 50 or 60 providers when we first started to introduce technology because exactly as we're talking about you can cue picture me <laughs> 11 p.m sitting at the coffee table like hunched over in my <laughs> tiny apartment <laughs> in Brooklyn being like just this one more match and my boyfriend who I was living with um you know popping his head out of the thing and being like are you still in that? Like, can is there any way that this could be, you know, like right, a little bit faster? Right. Or maybe you're I think it's proven that people want right. this thing. Right. Like, what should we do? So that was also the first time we went out for some funding and we worked with really exceptional angel investors, which for anyone listening are essentially individuals who have some of their earnings that they want to invest as an individual. So not necessarily a huge, large institutional Mm. company. And sometimes they do ask you for certain things for diligence. Other times it can be a much faster decision if they resonate with you in the mission and you show traction and you show that people want this thing. Then if they believe in it, they believe in the potential and they believe in you, they very well may invest. Mm. So that paints it a bit, simpler and a bit easier than it was in practice, but it can be a really great thing to engage with your own personal or professional network around. Mm -hmm. Um, So fast forward, we built with some of our angel funding, our first proper platform that really helped with being able to serve more people without drastically increasing the strain on any humans. Mm -hmm. And I also made my first hire at that time So both of those things were a couple months in. Now, fast forward, uh, summer of 2019, we participated in a tech accelerator in New York called ERA and also raised another round of funding and made our third full-time hire, who's our head of growth. Awesome. And fast forwarding to today, we raised our seed round in the winter of last year. So interestingly, the funding for our seed round came in literally the week before buildings started to close because mm-hmm. of COVID. Yeah. And we feel incredibly fortunate for that. And also very lucky to work with, our largest investor is called IndyBC. I would hugely recommend them to anyone who is building a profit generating business. You don't have to be profitable yet, but you have to have profitability in mind. Mm-hmm. And counter to a lot of huge, large-scale venture capital-funded businesses, sometimes you take a very large deficit for a very long time before you start thinking about profitability in the interest of just working with as many people as possible and Mm -hmm. growing as quickly as possible. NDVC is definitely focused on businesses that have unit economics that in the near future would have your earnings being bigger than your costs.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And one of the things I respect most about them is that Bryce, who's the lead investor, is extremely knowledgeable and supportive, but they also prioritize investing primarily in women and BIPOC founders. So Mm -hmm. even just in some of the networking sessions I go to, in the Slack channel, in the way that they frame and set up their funding institution, Mm -hmm. it's in my opinion, significantly more culturally competent and significantly more aligned with some of our values for me personally and at my well-being but that's a little bit more about Indie, but would definitely recommend them for anyone who might be listening. who's yeah. Building their business and is seeking some more funding.
0: That's great. And I, I love the inclusivity that you're talking about in regards to what you do and to what they do as well. Mm-hmm. I want to backtrack a little bit and, and really dial in on mental health in general, yeah. because like I mentioned before, there is this huge stigma surrounding it in our society, and our culture. And there's this mm-hmm. attitude of kind of sweeping things underneath the rug. And mm-hmm. I know for me, personally, I think that social media plays a huge part in that because, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, it's always kind of a highlight reel of people's lives. So you don't really know what is going on, but why do you think there is such a stigma? And when do you think the shift kind of started to happen where, you know, talking about your struggles and your pain is not really an acceptable thing in society?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one of the we'll, we'll get, I want to focus on what's challenging about talking about mental health and plant a teaser as we talk that I think one of the silver linings, if there are any of COVID is that I do think it's really accelerated the pace of conversation around mental health because so many people, literally everyone are affected by challenges to their mental health. Yeah. And I think COVID gave us a universal reality of something Mm. that we could contain that in and talk about in context of that was mildly less shameful because it had to do with our physical health
0: yeah so like, yeah.
1: oh well we're physically struggling which of course has an impact on our mental health and it's something that we're all going through at the same time so if I say I'm struggling because of COVID it's okay to be struggling but if I say that if before or after if I said I were struggling about starting a family or not yeah. or conditioning my career or not or having difficulties with my own nuclear family or my friend group or dating, whatever it is. So I do think that the sheer volume of exposure to these highlight reels is incredibly stigmatizing. I don't think that's that was the, I really don't think that was the original intention of social media. Mm-hmm. But I think when you're constantly seeing so-and-so got engaged, so-and-so got a promotion, so-and-so started their own company, Right. and all you're seeing is the highlight reel, then when your lived experience is a natural blend of things that are probably going well in your life as well, but Mm -hmm. also things that are really hard, because life is really hard. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. It feels like the proportion is off in your lived experience and it feels like why is there so much momentum and positivity and advancement happening for everyone else and why is my life so much worse and so much harder yeah because we don't see the full picture and full story of what's happening for other people and Mm -hmm. i think as social media has evolved everything you know you you do you get more engagement for things that are pretty, you get more engagement yeah. for things that are pithy, for things that are shareable, for things that are flashy. <laughs> so I think that conditions people to share the things that get more affirmation and get right. more love. Right. Which then, you know, the the flat the hamster wheel goes on of you feel like you become addicted to the likes and the affirmations. So You want to share the good things because you know those perform better. And then other people are seeing the good things so they feel worse. And if you are sharing the things and you're not getting the love that you're expecting and your self-esteem goes down. So it's
0: a vicious cycle.
1: Vicious cycle. (laughs) Something that I think can be helpful here to shed a little bit of um, something to hold on to. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, I think it's really helpful to constantly remind ourselves that it's not the full picture right right and um really there's a full spectrum of what either a person or a company's reality is that is not necessarily strategically portrayed on their grid or in their feed Mm -hmm. um but otherwise I think it's really helpful to mix up who you follow Yeah, yeah there are something that I've seen that I really appreciate is there's an increasing amount of accounts that are a bit more authentic, down-to-earth. They may not necessarily show a ton of imagery around hardship or things that are really challenging, but there are a lot of either coping mechanisms or context sharing around things or sharing tips, tools, and perspective around some of those things. So I do think also there's a lot more influencers who are trying to be a bit more open about yeah. I went out for fundraising and eight months later, we haven't gotten a yes. I've had 200 meetings. I'm really worried about mm-hmm. whether the thing that I'm working on has say four months left of cash in the bank. If no one says yes, You're right. <laughs> Like this might <laughs> yeah. be it. And yeah. I think usually that would be something that people would very much have sheltered in and dealt with either on their own or with their co-founders or with their romantic partner. yeah, And I do appreciate and see, I think it's a very courageous thing to do. And I think there are, um, optimistically a lot more people who are really trying to round out some of the narrative there.
0: Yeah, so and be more authentic. I think authenticity is going to come into play a lot more, especially after the year that everybody's had. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Um, what I wanted to touch on also, because I personally did make the step this year that I wanted to go into therapy. And yeah! i always, oh yes, I know, I'm so excited. I really am because I've always been an advocate for it, but I've just never taken that step. Mm-hmm. But also I know with a lot of people of color, specifically black mm-hmm. people, you know, with our roots being in the church specifically, Mm-hmm. there was this thought process you know you don't need Jesus you, you, mm-hmm. you I mean you don't need a therapist you have Jesus you know mm-hmm. so for your company are is it a safe space for people of color to seek therapy because I know for me specifically having a black therapist does mean a lot to me so yeah. I just want to I'm curious how you have managed to make this a safe space for people of yeah. color
1: absolutely So we try very hard to have it be a safe space for people of color, and some of the efforts that we take there is we actually have discounts on our membership for providers of color if they're interested in that. We make a really concerted effort to reach out to associations, networks, group practices, partnership organizations that invest a lot in training, supporting, networking with providers of color, and... Um, LGBTQ, uh, uh, either people who identify as LGBTQ themselves as providers Mm -hmm. or that they're particularly trained in competent care. And in our matching process, we match for things like logistics, largely being fee and availability, Mm -hmm. match for style, we match for issue areas that someone's hoping to work on, and we match for identity elements. So if it's important that someone work with a provider who identifies as Black or a provider who identifies as a certain age, Mm -hmm. a certain sexual orientation, a certain gender, we do our best to match accordingly something that i will share that i think is a massive problem in our country that is a ripple effect of systemic racism Mm -hmm. is there are significantly fewer providers of color in the us yeah so nationally there's about i want to say of the mental health providers if it's about eight to ten percent identify as bipoc Hmm. um so what I believe is going to be an absolute necessity moving forward is helping people of color access training programs. If they decide that that career trajectory is something that they want. Yeah. So the cost of education is exorbitant and there's been a lot of racism and oppression in the therapy space in particular, largely founded by older white men.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I think it's really important to have better access programs and programs that are culturally competent that aren't only teaching methodologies and theories that are largely rooted in European ethnocentric. Right. Right. So that's not to say that of course those things don't, um, haven't had research that shows that for sure certain methodology is helpful, but I think there's a lot that will be done systemically that can help and at my well-being, specifically, we when or if uh, someone does have a need that we cannot match for, so we do account for all of those areas in our matching. If for any reason the combination doesn't result in an absolute perfect match, mm-hmm. what we do is we generally email with or have a call with seekers who are trying to find the right care for them, and we'll say, hey. Um, we think this provider might be a really good fit for these reasons. We think this provider might be a really good fit for these reasons. Mm -hmm. If neither resonates, we also know that these are a variety of local resources where you might be able to find additional support. And here are some national resources as well that might Mm -hmm. be helpful in case um, you want to pursue that route. So where and when and if we cannot be the perfect solution, we do also try our best to do a lot of diligence and research and local relationship building mm-hmm. so that we can help make a warm connection that yeah, might be better.
0: And also not turn people away from seeking therapy because as you that's mentioned before right. it becomes such a headache trying to find the right fit that people just are like you know forget it <laughs> i'm not yeah, going to make this step right. in my life and then they end up suffering probably even more because mm-hmm. it's it, the process is so debilitating mm-hmm. um so you touched on it a little bit but let, we type in mywellbeing.com <laughs> what do we what happens next
1: yeah so you type in mywellbeing.com you will see get matched on our page And you would start by sharing any of those identity preferences that you have. So the way we encourage you to think about that is who do you feel safest with? Mm. Who do you feel is likely to understand you and your experience best? The person, believe it or not, does not have to look or present or have lived experience exactly like yours. For example, there are some female identifying people who feel safest with male identifying therapists there are some people in their 20s who are interested in working with people in their 60s and vice versa. So it's thinking about in your care, who might you feel safest with? So start mm-hmm. with identity. Then we'll ask you a couple questions about logistics. So um, better understanding what you can afford for therapy and matching you to people in that fee range, getting a sense of what your availability is. And we ask you then about anything you're hoping to work through so some of those things can be really specific, like mm-hmm. insomnia or infertility. Others can be a lot more fluid or nebulous, like life transitions mm. or loneliness. Um, and things that we are seeing this year in particular are there is a ton of loneliness, coping with grief, and coping with anxiety.
0: Yeah.
1: So. It's worth noting if you're feeling any of those things, you are far from alone. And um, those are absolutely reasons, quote unquote, enough to talk with a provider. Um, And then finally, we ask about style, which is one of the most fun and (laughs) and different parts of the form, where we get to know, would you want something that's very goal oriented? So sometimes you might say, I cannot fall asleep at night. And I want to work with someone who will help me fall asleep at night. That's pretty goal-oriented. Other times you might think like, oh, I have this feeling of dread that's really hard to shake. We might not know exactly yet where that's coming from. Is it in specific relationships? Is it related to work? Mm -hmm. So um, that might be closer to the second style, which is... Uh, a little bit more relationship-based. And you would talk and share anything and everything that's top of mind for you. And your provider would become a bit like a partner in reflecting some of that to help you become even more aware of it and to start reaching some clarity and some solutions over time. And then the third is mind-body for anyone who feels like you're having a ton of physical manifestations of stress and anxiety or transition or grief. And you are interested in relieving that from your Mm. body and you don't necessarily either have language for it or you're not necessarily interested in talking about it, but you might want to try something like breathing exercises or hypnotherapy or um, different mind-body exercises that can help actually heal some of the trauma, even if you truly never talk about it, which Mm -hmm. is kind of wild. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So after that, we send you three recommendations and you're guaranteed a free phone or video consultation with one or all three. Mm -hmm. And we trust you and the provider to be that final judge and that final assessor of who feels best. And throughout, our support team is here to soundboard and to help if you have any questions along the way. And from there you would choose your provider, move forward with them and we at my well-being like to keep in touch with things like content, community events, conversation starters. Mm-hmm. but from the clinical relationship, we respect the boundary of most of uh, the actual clinical relationship what you're talking about with your provider mm-hmm. would stay in that clinical relationship and we'd be doing a lot of community building and or learning and skill building outside of those sessions together.
0: I love that whole process. It sounds mm-hmm. like very simple, organized and easy yes. to, 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 navigate. So I am sure that people appreciate that. Yeah. It is, it's a hard process. It truly, truly is. So I love that. So yeah. you started in New York, you're, you just launched recently in Los Angeles. What are your future plans and locations that you want, where you want to see MyWellbeing.com?
1: Great question. So just launched in Los Angeles. I'm so happy to be there. Yeah. And we're really looking forward to doubling down in Los Angeles, building relationships as much as possible throughout 2021. We are looking forward to expanding into a couple additional markets, which will be announced soon, not awesome. yet announced. <laughs> and so we'll keep you on the edge of your seat. Yeah. Um, But I am just really thrilled that I... I like to think of both New York and California as places where uh, they're on the front front runners of conversations where things like mental health can be recurring, regular, central parts of the narrative mm-hmm. and part of the and it wouldn't be so unusual to walk past a coffee shop when and if people are standing outside coffee shops in close proximity of each other and you overhear someone talking about something their therapist told them the other day or when you know a couple years ago I imagine that was much more hush hush so that's very encouraging to me and I really think that we are the most we're the best support systems for each other and encouraging each other to take that step and yeah I hear you about that first step being hard. I literally didn't find my own therapist until I was training to become one. <laughs> oh
0: wow, wow! Um,
1: and I, it's it's all too easy to brush things under the rug if you're relatively high functioning. Otherwise, and what I will say is that I have learned so much in my own therapy that has made itself known in my romantic and personal and work relationships that if I didn't have that space to process it, any stress I was going through would have come out somewhere else mm-hmm. that would have been more consequential. Yeah. And all of the gains that I've learned, I've been able to apply and exercise in these other areas. And I've seen my other relationships and my productivity and my sense of fulfillment really blossom. And I think a huge reason for that is therapy. Mm-hmm. So I, am one of the people who probably could get away with "quote unquote not going" but i consider therapy to be a really big opportunity for mm-hmm. growth and learning and processing and i wouldn't really want to quote unquote, get away with (laughs) not going because I think what it would result in is more conflict, less satisfaction, more stress, more physical health ailments elsewhere in my life. So similar to exercise, I really value and appreciate going proactively as something that can be additive. Well, Alyssa,
0: you are an absolute joy. <laughs> truly, <laughs> truly you are. And you are you. you are a testament to what you do. And I appreciate the work and the efforts that you're doing with okay. your company. So if you could let my listeners know where they could find you or where they can follow Absolutely. My well-being, or try, go ahead and plug all the good stuff. Absolutely.
1: So our website is mywellbeing.com. You can feel free to visit our site to learn more, to find your own therapist. Our Instagram and all of our social handles are at find my well-being and we do post a lot of absolutely free content tips and tools and perspective on there so feel free to follow to dip your toe into the world of therapy if you're still thinking about it and want a little bit more insight a little bit more info before moving forward and if you have any questions you can always reach us by email at connect at mywellbeing.com
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. I truly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. And for having absolutely. To the listeners, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.